Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, guys, just want to keep uh, reminding you guys, hey, if you show up here and we're not here next week, it's not the rapture. We're at the beach, okay? So uh, we've been passing out flyers. We've been passing out things. want to see you there um, next uh, Sunday, 10 a.m. We're going to have barbecues, food, baptism. I know people are signing up, so we're excited. We're getting ready to launch a canto. So if you want to be a part of that team that wants to be a part of helping uh, uh, launch the campus over there in a canto, come to the information, just an information meeting. So you know, not asking you for your first child. Um, we're just asking you for your time and see what the Lord's doing, if he's leading you to come and, and be a part of that. So I uh, just want to encourage you with that. Hey, guys, we've been doing a sermon series on unity, and I want to invite you to uh, join us. We keep talking about this topic of unity. So open up to Proverbs 6 chapter this morning. Proverbs chapter 6 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 19 this morning as we're jumping in this morning, talking about what God hates. Interesting title, what God hates this morning, Proverbs 16, 16 through 19. In the past year, what have we really learned or what are we learning now about what's going on around us? I, I think we have a problem that we, we haven't figured out yet. How do we unify ourselves? This country was built on, a, on a, a vision, and that vision was to unite people from all walks of life, from all types of nations, all types of backgrounds. We even highlighted our differences by identify, identifying ourselves as Irish Americans or African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, etc. We have a flag we pledge our allegiance to to unite us. Our mission is in our name, the United States of America. But as a nation, we are struggling to be what we claim to be. Come on, come on. We seem more divided than united. And if we are a Christian nation, as some claim that we are, we haven't acted as one, and we have sown more discord than unity. I think this is the perfect time for the church to arise. I think this is the perfect time that we make most of the opportunity that God has given us to be a good witness to the world around us and that they may see our unity and our love for one another. And that should be evident to the world. But we have to be on guard as a church. We have to guard ourselves in this time against those who want to bring discord among the brethren. For this is exactly what God hates. I use the word hate as an exclamation point this morning. We've been journeying through the scriptures, looking at the topic of unity. And this morning we're going to look at the cause of disunity. And I think there's specific things that God hates that God wants to bring to light. Solomon, the author of the book of, of Proverbs, is writing to his son. And he's giving warning about the things that could bring disunity. He's writing about the things that will destroy a family. It's a wisdom book, 
And I think we could get much wisdom from it. And so I want to encourage you to listen this morning as we talk about what God hates this morning. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy. And I pray this morning as we hear your word, we pray that it would be one that speaks to us. Lord, we're asking that your Holy Spirit this morning would teach us and instruct us. But more than just teach us, more than just gaining information, Lord, we pray that there would be some inspiration in the information. We're praying this morning that there would be some information and inspiration for what? For transformation, that we might have unity with one another. And so I pray this morning your hand upon our time, asking that you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at two things this morning. And the first thing we're going to look at this morning, if you're taking notes, notes, is that God hates wickedness. God hates wickedness. We're going to see that in verse 16. I think we are living in some confusing times. In fact, the scripture speaks that that was going to happen in the last days. In fact, people will call evil good and good evil. People will affirm and applaud evil. People will love darkness rather than light. Scripture speaks about each of these things. But we oftentimes hate the very things we should be loving. It appears that this world loves the very thing God hates. In fact, John writes and says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so when you come to the writings of Solomon, he's writing about God and describing his characteristics that we might even be uncomfortable with this morning. He's describing a God who hates, better said, what God hates. I think this is hard because we're very familiar with, with a God who loves. The scripture defines God as love, but more than that, he is gracious and he's merciful. God is our refuge. God is mighty. God is just. God is our Lord and Savior, and the list goes on and on. But a God who hates, that rubs us wrong. How can one hate and love at the same time. Let me give you an example. I know many of you love your family and you love your friends and you love your coworkers and you love your children, but you hate the very thing that will harm them. You know, you know my story, you know my mom passed away this last year from, from cancer and I loved my mom, but I, I hated the cancer. And that's evident by many people who wear T-shirts regarding that disease with explicit things written on about cancer. All right. We can love and hate at the same time. That's why we studied Romans chapter 12 last week that says that we are to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. Solomon is writing about what God hates and is disgusted by that brings disunity to God's household. God is deeply disturbed by disunity is called by wickedness, and he addresses it in Proverbs chapter 6, because the psalmist writes, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. So verse 16 says this, six things the Lord hates in Proverbs chapter 6. Yes, seven 
are abomination to him. God hates wickedness. So let me tell you about this, when it's good to be hateful. <laughs> let me tell you when it's good to be hateful. We know that the number seven is a significant number in Scripture. It's referred to as the, as the number of completion. Some may even call it the number of perfection. And the number is found throughout the Scriptures. The, the, the word was created six days and God rested on the seventh. That's why we have seven days. Jacob worked for seven years to win his bride. It was seven days of surrounding Jericho. There are seven churches and seven years of tribulation. And just look up the word seven. There are many, many other sevens in the, the scriptures. Now Solomon is going to reveal seven deadly sins. The number of complete wickedness. I think these seven things God hates and he even calls them an abomination in the scriptures but if you look at verse 16 it provides an outline of what god hates addressing six things first and adding one more thing calling it an abomination i think he outlines this passage for us and solomon uses harsh words here to describe what god hates in fact throughout the book of proverbs he mentions the word wickedness and wicked over a hundred times contrasting God's goodness and his righteousness. So the very first thing you see in verse 16, it says that God hates the Lord. He says that in verse 16, the Lord hates in verse 16. The Lord can never reconcile with sin. What does darkness have to do with, with lights? And I think there are certain sins that he specifically hates. And those specific sins are the ones that harm his image bearers. In fact, Proverbs 8, 13 says this, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance and corruptions and perverse speech. Giving a list there of what he hates. And so we have to begin to deal with what I call here righteous hatred. Aligning ourselves with righteous hate, hate for hatred. We know that Jesus would often speak in paradoxes and to, to make a point. And he does this with the word hate. You only have to go back to the, the New Testament when he calls us to be disciples or followers of Jesus. He uses hate as a paradox and challenges to our own commitment to discipleship. You'll begin to read that in Luke 14, 25. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus condoning hate there? No, he's, he's contrasting it to, to this love for God. It has to appear so much that you love God, it's almost hitting everything else. It's a paradox. We see here in Romans 9, 3, he, he challenges when he says, Jacob, I love Esau, I've hated. You see this kind of paradox, this kind of contrast here. But what the scriptures is calling us to, he's calling us to hate the things that God hates. That's righteous hatred. Psalm 97, 10 says, you who love the Lord hate evil. Speaking to the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation, 
he writes this, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolotians, which I also hate. Nicolotians is ones who perverted God's word and truth. You hated them just like I hated them. And so in Solomon's writings, even in the book of Ecclesiastes, what does he say? There's a time to love and there's a time to hate. And there's some things we're called to hate. Because God hates witnesses, wickedness. We're to hate wickedness. Amen. But he calls these sins in Proverbs 6 an abomination to God. Sin is abomination. Again, that word abomination is mentioned over 100 times in the, in the book of Proverbs and throughout the scriptures. In fact, the word, we, we hear that abomination, we think, oh, that's a crazy word, because sometimes we have different feelings about that word. But all that word means is to be disgusted by. God is disgusted by these things. It's another word for repugnance. It means intense disgust. Sin is an offense to God. God has extreme hatred towards sin. That's the picture that he's, he's giving here. God, and you know what? Let me tell you something. God hates us so much that he even feels the impact of sin in his own life. Meaning our sin when we fall we could actually when we sin god actually feels that because it says in ephesians chapter 4 30 that do not grieve the holy spirit of god that god is grieved by our sin he's grieved by our own wickedness i think he's grieved when he looks upon this earth he's grieved it causes him pain in fact this word abomination is used different ways throughout scriptures in fact, one way is abomination. It can be kind of like a, 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 looking at a caste system. You remember back in the book of, of Exodus, actually Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis 46. Remember it says that the Egyptians would not eat with the Israelites or the Greeks. Those are people who would not like them. They would not break bread with them because they were an abomination to them. There was like a, a caste system, a separatism, elitism. We can get that in our own culture, in a world where we have this racism of this elitism. God, that's an abomination to God. We talk about those issues. We've seen that in our own world. Yeah. An abomination can be used when people worship idols or false gods or worship other, other gods not found in the scriptures. We have a lot of other gods and other pagan worship in our culture. Idols that we've established. We even have a show called American Idol. Idolizing people. Also, an abomination is a word used when people practice wickedness or sin. See it, Proverbs 15, 9. And so God hates wickedness. He hates that. And so his challenge for us in this passage is this, is that we have to hate the things that God hates. Here's the second thing. I'm going to focus on this. Looking at 17 through 19 this morning. God hates discord. God hates discord. We see that in verse 17 through 19. In verses 16 to 19 is the anatomy of wickedness. Notice that each sin listed is associated with the part of a body. There's a, there's a body language to wickedness. 
These seven things will destroy the body. We know that the church is one body unified to, to glorify God. But like the serpent, there are those who sow seeds of division to destroy the body of Christ. And he ultimately reveals the, the one he hates the most is the discord among the brethren. And so we know the purpose of the wicked is to sow discord among the brethren. Look at verse 19. And it says, and one who sows discord among the brethren. What is he saying? God hates discord. He hates those that are sowing wickedness. He lists this. I started at verse 19, then I'll go back up here to, in a minute to verse 17. But I start there because the ultimate sin that's going to be listed here is going to come back to this one sin. The word sow means to, to plant a seed or, or to spread or to cast a seed. It's like a farmer who sows a seed or, or casts a seed. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. We'll get into the tongue in a minute. Get into lying in a minute. It says this. He says, and one who sows discord among... What's the one here? The one mentioned here is the troublemaker. Is the farmer who sows seeds of discord. The one who troubles the peace of family, biological and spiritual. He is a sower. He is the farmer of wickedness guys we can sow in two ways this morning we read that in galatians chapter 6 8 for he who sows to the flesh will reap corruption and he who sows to the spirit will reap everlasting life see we can abide in christ and bear much fruit but we also can abide in the flesh and bear the fruit of wickedness. Wherever we abide, wherever we rest. See, when we sow discord, it means that we sow a, a, a strife. We sow contention. Proverbs ten twelve says this, Hate, hatred stirs up strife. It, 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 you know, hatred stirs up contention. Hatred is the motive of the sowing. Hatred is motive of the sonance. Nothing good will come under hatred. Nothing good comes out of being hateful in the sense of wickedness. That's the motive for strife. But I find it very interesting if you look at the scriptures about how God responds to those who sow strife and discord. He marks those who cause division among the brethren. He marks them. Look what it says in Romans 16, 17. It says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. The word note in that translation in the Greek can also be translated to, to mark them. The, actually, the King James Version uses that term to, to mark them, to take note of them. And he commands us for those who bring division in the body to avoid them. Come on, come on. In fact, Proverbs goes to say this in Chapter 22.10, he says this, cast out the scoffer. The contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Cut out the cancer. You hang out with an angry man, you become angry. Proverbs says, the scripture says. You hang out with hateful people, you'll be hateful. 
he commands us to avoid them. But here we're going to get into the text of what is the cause or how we sow the things that causes discord. Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Here are some of the members because we're using our members as righteousness. Here are some of the members that Solomon has taken note of and reveals the strategy by which they bring discord among the brethren. These six sins are what sows, that is what is sown to bring discord among the brethren. And we're gonna look at them each this morning. The first one, the eyes. Look at the eyes. We're gonna look at the members of this body, the anatomy of discord, the eyes. He says in verse 17, a proud look. Pride is the foundation of sin. Pride means a, we overvalue ourselves and undervalue others. That's pride. There's a, a self-exaltation in pride. Lifting ourselves up above the rest of the people. Has to do with conceitedness. Conceitedness. Thinking you're better than others there's no humility in that i remember when i was in high school i had a he wasn't necessarily my friend but i played football with him and he thought he was the one of the greatest football players of all time and always pumped himself up full of pride he was the best player against everybody and i remember when it came to uh valentine's day and we wanted to send a valogram to the one that we liked or whatever, but I remember, I know this was wrong, but I wrote a valogram time to him. It said, why don't you climb up your ego and jump off? That, and I sent it to him. Hey, I didn't know Jesus back then. Proverbs 24, 21.4 says, a haughty look, a, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. God sees the pride of our own hearts and he hates it. Think about original sin, where did it come from in the heavenlies? In the heavenlies, we know there was an, a high-ranking angel. We know him as Lucifer who wanted to make himself bigger and better than God. And he, he exalted himself, his pride exalted himself. But yet God cast him out of the heavens. This beautiful morning star, this beautiful angel. Some thought he was the, the head of worship. But his ego got in the way. And God cast him out of the heavens with a third of the angels we know as demons today were cast out. And, but he was cast out because of his pride, his arrogance. What? And pride comes before the fall. You know what pride does in this world? Pride is man's way of declaring his independence of God. We call that rebellion, right? Sometimes when your kids rebel against their parents, they're saying, we want to be independent of you. That's their pride. That's their arrogance. That's their rebellion. We as a people have done that sometimes with God. Oh, it's okay, God, I got this. I don't need you anymore. 
But we know the scriptures commands us to humble ourselves. James talks about that, right? God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And what? He will lift you up. Think about the character of Jesus. Prior to going to the cross, he's with the disciples, having a meal with them. And what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet and commands them to do likewise with those who he, they serve. His humility, the God who is part of the creation, is washing the disciples' feet and commands them to do likewise. He even got lifted up on a cross, right? Oh, pastor, I don't want that. But he got also got lifted up to the throne of grace and God, the right hand of the Father. But he also got lifted up from the grave. He defeated death. Guys, if there's any poison that we need to swallow, it's pride. It's pride. Pride will bring discord among the brethren if we think we're better than each other. We think we're more sanctified than each other. We think we're got it more and we know more about God. That will bring discord among the brethren. We're brothers and sisters. One of the things Julie and I taught our kids growing up about their brothers and sisters is that that's who God has given us and we're called to love one another. And so you shouldn't hate one another as brothers and sisters. These are, should be your best friends. In the church, this should, we should be best friends. There should be unity like that. But pride and arrogance will destroy that concept and that idea if we think we're better than one another. And so we looked at the eyes. Let's look this morning now at the tongue. At the tongue. He says, a lying tongue in verse 17. I know people are seeking the gift of tongues, but this isn't the gift I'm asking you to seek. Okay? All right? He's not asking you to seek a lying tongue, a deceptive tongue. He's talking about our tongues here that we do with everyday conversation here. Do you notice that pride and the lying tongue precede the next one, which is murder? If you go down the list, if you put the order to things, you're saying that pride and lying is worse than murder. He listed in that way. Because they are serious sins. If anything is going to bring discord, is lying. Look at Ananias Sapphira. <laughs> they lied about their gift. Why would you lie against God? Why would you lie against the Holy Spirit, the scripture says? And they dragged him out of the building <laughs> dead. Right? It was a cost to their, to their lying. God is about truth. Amen. God is truth. The Psalmist 119 says that the word is truth. Lies, they, they bind. Truth is what sets you free. In fact, the scripture says that we're called to speak the truth in love. Sometimes the wounds of a friend is okay if done in love. Thankful for the wounds of a friend. You know what that is? The friend who tells me the truth and doesn't lie to me. Come on, come on. 
It tells me the truth of things that I need to hear. Even it might feel like, ooh, that hurts a little bit. But he loves me enough to tell me the truth and not lie to me. Why? Lying violates a trusting relationship. It will break trust. There'll be broken relationships over falsehood. We know that in the New Testament, James speaks about the tongue. And he gives an illustration that the tongue can start forest fires. It can start forest fires. The way we use our tongues. And sometimes the tongue can't even be tamed. We know that there's power in the tongue. When, when God created the world, he spoke it. He, he uses spoke his, his mouth. He spoke it, and there it was. It, it brought life. It brought creation. I'm out. Guys, our tongues can bring life or can be bring death by what we say. Many of you here are wounded, wounded children by the words of your parents or, or your friends. You have family wounds. You have father wounds. And those wounds have, have bound you. The lies that you believe have enslaved you. And it's only the truth that's going to heal you. You can't be, keep believing the lies that the enemy speaks to you. And you can't keep believing the lies of maybe things you, you, you were dealing with in your own life. Some of you grew up and your parents spoke about how you were stupid or idiots or no good or you were in an accident. And those wounds have affected you so much that it's affecting your relationships and your marriage and your relationships with others. And God wants to heal that. The wounds of the tongue. The traumas that we face in our, our lives by the things we experience can affect our relationships today and how we treat one another. Childhood trauma. Some of you have seen stuff you shouldn't have seen, experienced things you shouldn't have experienced, and you're feeling the wounds of it. But we have a God who heals because his word is an ointment. It's hyssop like an ointing branch that heals the wounds. The lying tongue will bring discord among the brethren. Let's talk about the hands. Let's talk about the hands. Hands that shed innocent blood. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? That shall not kill. One who sheds innocent blood. Violence against those who do not deserve it. Guys, what have we experienced the last year and a half? Turn on your TVs. You're hearing more about guys taking guns and killing people in stores and people killing his brother Abel over jealousy. If you follow the, the lineage of Cain, you know, it, it goes all the way to seven generations, and that lineage, that genealogy was a mess. It leads to polygamy, and it leads to violence. And after seven generations in, you don't hear about him anymore because the Bible really follows the genealogy of Jesus, but he just wants us to give a sneak preview about shedding innocent blood. The hands are shedding innocent blood. He hates murderous people. He, that murderous person has taken on the image of Satan himself. Because the Bible says in John 8, 44, he was a murderer. I'm talking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and a father of it. Satan himself. 
People are taking on the image and likeness of Satan himself when they're about, about violence. But you might think, Pastor, I've never murdered anybody, right? I, I hear that oftentimes when I talk about how we've fallen short of God's standard glory, that we're sitting, oh, Pastor, but I've never killed anybody. I've never molested anybody. I've never, da da da. It seems like they always go to the extreme, right? They always go to the extreme. But Jesus even deals with that in our own hearts. The Bible says, do not murder, but if you hate your brother or sister, as if you committed murder, Jesus said. In fact, John reminds us in 1 John 3, 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He... The Bible gets to the heart of the matter. I remember, you may not have physically murdered somebody, but you murdered them in their hearts. You had hatred in your hearts. When there's ought in the, in the family of God and you hate somebody in the family of God, you have a murderous heart. That's an abomination. God's disgusted by it. And that will cause discord among the the brethren. Think of Revelation 20. Look at the order of things and what he says here in Revelation 21, 28. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerer, the idolaters, all liars shall not have their part in the lake which burns with fire, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. People don't like verses like that. <laughs> right? They don't like verses like that. I have to give you the whole counsel of God. I'm not going to give you health counsel. The whole counsel. You got to hear it all. The good and the bad. And so we see here the hand. Let's get a little deeper. What about the heart? Verse 18. A heart that devised wicked plans. Thoughts of iniquity. Thinking, your process in your mind, working up a wicked uh, imagination, the things that play in our heads. Guys, some of that stuff in our heads is sick. Mm, it's sick. Come on now. And the enemy throw these fiery darts in our mind, and the wages of war takes place in the mind. And all these crazy, where do you think they come from? They're, they're demonic, man. The Bible describes Satan throwing these fiery darts at you, these things. That's why we have the helmet of salvation as our armor to protect our mind. Because without the armor, we're vulnerable to, in the mind. Because you got to think it before you do it. Guys, many of you battling depression and anxiety is the war that takes place in the mind. The enemy knows that. i got to attack the mind. And so what does he do? When he deals with the heart, he devises with the plan. The heart is beginning the part of the whole body, the whole soul, the whole makeup of a person includes the, the mind and you have these imaginations. And from the heart, the mind is flooded with wickedness, this unregenerated heart. It's a schemer, a person who schemes things. He preys on the people in the church and the people in the body. In fact, Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7, 20 to 23. Oh, Jesus said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? From within, out of the heart of men proceeds evil thoughts, 
adulteries, fornication, murderers, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Man, what's inside here? I wonder why Jesus said to love me with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I have to give everything over to Jesus in order to be regenerated. Or I'm just going to be a schemer, man. Now, I don't, I don't watch horror movies because you got to be sick on some of these horror movies that are out there. What scheming imagination is making this stuff up? And then you wonder why people are easy, quick to shed blood? Don't tell me that won't, doesn't affect you because right now, there's commercials. On Super Bowl Sunday, they'll spend millions and millions and millions of dollars for 30 seconds to influence your mind. So you can't tell me that's not influencing you. What imagination is happening? Because Jeremiah the prophet said, the heart is desperately wicked. Who knows it? The mind and the heart, they're connected. They're connected. That's why he challenges the Roman 12s to renew our mind. To unload and then re-download some things. That's why we're called to memorize scriptures. That's why we're called to be in the word. There's the washing of the truth, the sanctifying of the truth. Or we're going to have some crazy imaginations going on out here. Some to extreme that might say, I'm hearing voices. It's demonic. Now, listen, if you need to go get counseling, get counseling. I'm not against that. I'm not here, oh, Pastor Pete's against that. I'm not against it. You need to go get counseling, get counseling. Get biblical counseling, get the counseling you need. It's good to share. Confess your sins one another, and it's healing that takes place. That's all that counseling is in some sense. <laughs> sharing your wounds, brain work, sharing those things. There's healing in all that. Get the help you need to get when this stuff is going. Hey, when I break my arm, I go to a doctor. My arm gets healed. My mind's a little broken, I go to a brain doctor, gets a little healing. No, I, I want to get, I'm going to go to the great physician first, okay, to renew my mind, but we have people around to help you heal your mind if these things are going crazy in your mind. Because Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence for out of the springs the issues of life. And the truth the washing of the word says this, since you have purified your soul, the soul is the whole makeup of the person. Since you purified the soul is obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another firmly with a pure heart. With a pure heart. See, the heart that devises wicked plans will bring discord among the brethren. Let's look at the feet. The feet. Feet that are swift to running to evil, right? There are people that are eager to do evil. They're excited about getting involved with mischief. Like they're all about, hey, let's go work it. Let's go do dirt. Let's go do a mess. Let's, they're all about that in this world, right? Last week we looked at the feet who brought good news. Now we're looking at the feet that those who want to bring trouble. Our feet. One of the armor is the shoes of peace, Ephesians chapter 6, to stand firm, the gospel of peace. But these individuals 
have a thirst and thrive on wickedness. They take pleasure in wickedness. They, they, they want to make a name for themselves by doing corruption. <laughs> by doing corruption. And, and we, have, we, have, we, have, we have analyzed those that are in corruption. Right? It's like we, we, we idolize the bad boys. Like, there's, we, we idolize that stuff. I mean, everybody here probably knows Bonnie and Clyde. Right? Some of that back in the 30s. But Bonnie and Clyde, there, there's something mystical. There's something crazy about them. Right? You always got to look, who are they? And we have movies about them and all these. We've idolized corruption, those who did evil. These individuals are errand boys of Satan. <laughs> errand boys of Satan, eager to involve themselves in selfish gain. But what does our feet have? Our feet have a purpose. Not to bring disunity, but unity. Because we're called to walk in righteousness, not in unrighteousness. Right? The feet that run to evil will bring discord among the brethren. How about our lips? Our lips, the last one. A false witness who speaks lies. One of the Ten Commandments again. Do not bear false witness, right? This is, this is different than a lying tongue, right? This is one who perjures himself. This is the one who lies under oath. He, he, he brings injustice. He brings injustice. He bears fault witness or testament to others regarding the person or situation. Just like the leaders did about Jesus in the middle of the night in the dark when they bore false witness against him at his trial. That was unjust. The saints are called to bear witness of the truth. We're called to bear witness of the truth. So as I close this morning, if you look at verses 12 through 15 leading up to 16 to 19, it's a summation of 16 to 19. It says, a worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with a finger. Perversity is in the heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly, and suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Ouch. He, he takes verses 16 through 19. He sums it up really in 12 through 15. Right? Worthless person. He's without profit. Describe him as wicked and has a perverse mouth. Talks about the tongue, Right? He winks with his eyes and shuffles the feet to point the figure. You know what? He's planning. He's like, with his homies, you ready? Ready? Come on. What's going down? Signs, throwing signs. Right? That's what that is. They're schemers. They're, they're communicating with one another to bring schemings and evil on. Why? Because the motive is the perversity of their hearts. He divides evil continually. It's ongoing. That's his nature. And it's all bringing disunity and discord. But what is, will happen to them? Well, there it is. Therefore, this calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly it shall be broken without remedy. 
Judgment's going to come on quickly, and there will be no hope. The word here, broken without remedy, means broken beyond hope of healing. You sow to the wind, you reap to the wind. Sin is not only destructive, it's unproductive. Sin is not only destructive, it's unproductive. All this will bring discord. So Peter reminds us, at least close with these last two verses, 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, be united. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted and be courteous. James 3, 17 and 18 commands us, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and willing to yield, full of mercy and of good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let me remind you of three things again as we talked. Number one, God hates wickedness. Number two, God hates discord among the believers. And number three, we are to hate what God hates. Amen? Amen. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for the teaching of your word. Father, we thank you for the instruction of your word. As we've been looking at unity this morning, I pray that, Father, may our hearts align with your heart. May our ways be your ways, because your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and your ways are higher than our ways. And so I pray this morning, Father, that the people have heard your word. Father, they've been sanctified with your word, and I pray now that they're going to be empowered by your spirit through the word. That, Father, they're going to hate what you hate, and they're going to love what you love. You hate discord, but you love unity. And so, Father, bring unity to your family. Thank you, and we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.